Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. And we had fun in our 20s as wingwomen for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. So celebrate yourself. Apparently, we're going about the college admissions process the wrong way. Really? Yeah. It's so different now. For high school kids, they start getting these little flyers and cute mailings and say, Hey, we're Harvard. We want you. Hey, we're Yale. We want you. And these kids are like, Oh my God, I'm going to go to Harvard. <laughs> and yet it's not that they, that's not that the schools want our kids. They want our kids to apply. They want those numbers because it makes them look more selective when they say no. Really? Yeah. It's a bait and switch. So we're getting our hopes up, having our kids aim for something that they can't necessarily get. And it's it's a major disappointment. So we should be looking at what schools are good fits and that there's so many different things to look at. Is that is that a new thing? Because honestly, I have a 12 and a 10 year old, so I don't remember getting flyers. Um, I did not get flyers back then, but it is what's happening now. Or was I not targeted? <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. How did you decide where to go to college? Uh, honestly, I applied to uh, state schools locally in the Midwest, and I stayed in state. And where'd you go? U of I. Okay. Champaign, along with a slew of other people I graduated with. And um, it was cheap because I was in state. And it was really, honestly, it was a, a money thing. Like, why, why I wasn't going to spend extra money to go somewhere else. Well, that was super smart. And, you know, unlike what a lot of the kids are doing today, right? Yes. Well, I mean, gosh, the numbers are just nuts how much it costs to go to school. Yeah. Well, so I went the other route and um, I went to Yale. And the reason I did was um, after my sophomore year, my mom and her sister and my cousin, we took a a road trip to check out schools on the East Coast. My cousin was a year older. And um, we went to all these schools, and I was like just sitting in the back seat eating like Heath bars secretly, and like um, just like digging the road trip. I, like, yes, I was actually not digging it because I, you know, I I didn't want to be hanging out with people. So we got to Yale, and um, as we pulled into the gas station to fill up, I saw a guy walk by with a gun. And I was like, what? "Whoa, this place is cool!" And then, and we were walking from the Holiday Inn to the campus, and uh, I saw a woman get thrown out onto the sidewalk from a dive bar, like literally thrown out onto the sidewalk. And my mom was like, "You're not coming here!" And I was like, "Oh, yes, I am." You're like, "This is so different." <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, because you know, that's what it was. That yeah. I grew up in a tiny town, and I wanted like some big city 
situation. So she's you shoot for the stars <laughs> Yale yeah. I mean I knew you went to Yale but yeah I did not know that it wasn't like I love the program that they have that no no the dorms are awesome <laughs> nothing like that great food yeah no no just I, I wanted a city experience and you know and it was very far away and I wanted to sort of create my own persona because I I'm very close to my family but I'd never sort of ventured out i've never been to yale is it a big city it's in new haven and at the time new haven was the third poorest city in the nation oh so one time my mom came to visit and she's like are there a lot of diabetics here and i said oh, why oh my god <laughs> for real there are needles oh my everywhere gosh. yeah so sorry yale you're better now i mean it is it's much better now it's a it's a beautiful campus now but right yeah wow that's yeah that's crazy i did not I did not know that about you. Yeah. See, this, this podcast is bringing us closer together. <laughs> I so, something new. Yeah. So now our kids aren't old enough yet, although, heck, they might be old enough because I think that we have to start planning this stuff before we know it. Um, so I wanted to get some expert help. How do you feel about that? Like, yeah, college admissions for dummies. <laughs> 101. <laughs> exactly. Like, yes. Just like everything we do. So Kristen Sr. is the founder of the Brass Ring College Consultants. It's an independent college counseling firm that helps students get their best match. Um, she also happens to be the mom of three, and her oldest is a senior in high school. Whoa. Hey, Kristen. Hi there. So, Kristen, how... How early should we start planning for college? I mean, it, it's not like you start your senior year and say, okay, it's time. Some crazy parents might think birth, but I would not say that early at all. Um, most parents, I think, start thinking about it in middle school, but most don't really do much until high school starts. Um, depending on where you're going to school, for um, middle school, you might be taking entrance exams for high school, and so that kind of gets the family into that mindset of thinking about the future. Um, but most of the families who work with me call me sophomore or junior year. Okay. So um, I thought I, Anne was telling me an interesting story about you and what you did and why you're doing what you do now. Well, I, I have a PhD in English and I went to Kenyon College for undergraduate and loved it. And I had um, a single mom when I was in high school and I was very close to her and we had actually a really bonding time looking for colleges, and I had a very successful college experience. And when I taught high school and college after I graduated from graduate school, I had a lot of students who really were not happy with um, the schools they had chosen, and I kind of wondered why that was. Um, I left teaching for a while, worked in publishing, educational publishing, writing textbooks for middle school and high school English classes, and decided I wanted to branch out on my own and have my own business. Um, and that, that's how I got into college counseling, I kind of thinking back on my own experience and trying to figure out a way to make it better for the students and for the families. So and now that I have kids of my own, I'm kind of in a double, uh, playing a double role here. Yes, wearing two hats. So you were really yeah. called to, to, doing, to doing this consulting because you saw a need and you saw that people were, kids were going to places that maybe they were unhappy with their choice after the fact? That's right. Um, I think... A lot of kids maybe pick a school that they, whose name they've just heard, and they don't necessarily know much about it besides maybe their neighbor went there or their uncle did, and they haven't done a lot of research to really figure out if it is, as you said, the best fit for them. So they go with kind of a popularity contest instead of trying to figure out who they are first and then finding a school that helps them grow. That's awesome. Try, not Trying to uh, find what fits for you, not what you think would be good for you. Right. So... Grades, I know, are important. Um, 
obviously, and we put a lot of uh, emphasis on grades, like pretty much your whole career as a student. Um, but I've read about students that got A's, all A's in high school, and are being rejected from from schools that they want to go to. Does the type of classes that they take influence admissions? Like if you're getting all A's and you're getting rejected, what what does that mean? So the buzzword is rigor. Um, and you hear these horror stories of kids who have straight A's and a 36 ACT and they get rejected from every school they apply to. Yes. Um, and what might be happening, it's one of two things. They're competing with other students who have just as high an achievement academically, so they're not the smartest kid in the class. Um, and the other thing might be that they had taken classes that were not uh, at the highest level that their high school offered. So this is what we call um, having a rigorous um, academic plan. So, for example, if your high school offers an AP advanced placement class and you don't take it, especially if it's in the major you think you want to do in college, the colleges kind of question why did you not challenge yourself a little bit. So the question is, is it better to get an A or B or an A in a lower level class versus a B in an AP class? The cliched answer the colleges always say is get the A in the AP class. Mm-hmm. So they want high grades, if possible, but they also like to see the high grades in challenging level classes. Having said that, if your high school doesn't offer that, you won't be held responsible for that. The colleges really look at students based on the context of where they went to school. So if you're in a school that has just all regular classes and nothing at the honors level or AP um, or International Baccalaureate, which is kind of an alternative to AP, they're not going to hold that against you. You know, you wrote a blog about IB and AP. Um, can you explain what they are? What's in, IB? At International it's Baccalaureate. All, okay. All of these letters, right? Yeah. So, explain- so AP started, I think, in the 1940s or 50s at my alma mater, Kenyon College, actually, hmm. um, as an attempt to offer kind of the smartest kids an opportunity to take college-level classes while they were still in high school. And the teachers who teach them at the high school level go through a training program with the advanced placement company, um, and the curriculum is uh, very prescribed. So it's not the teacher walking in for English saying, you know, I want to do these 10 novels this year. Um, there, there are definite outcomes that are required for the AP. And at the end of that year, students take an AP test. They can get a score from 1 to 5, and they can theoretically get college credit for taking those classes during high school. IB comes from countries outside of the United States that started for diplomats' families and their children who were stationed abroad for several years to kind of guarantee them, again, a standardized education that they could then take back to the United States. IB has more of an international flair. There's um, a volunteer requirement. Um, There are kind of six different areas the students have to choose um, as a focus for their classroom, for their class selections. Um, and IB is considered at this point to be more prestigious, I would say, than advanced placement. The AP classes still have all the teachers required to have the training, but colleges see it somewhat as students are taking it just as a checklist. Oh, I need an AP class to get into college. They're not seeing it as a indication that the student is genuinely interested in that subject. So so that you're saying that they like the AP class, they like to see the AP classes that your mm-hmm. students pushing themselves. What about the kids that don't take AP classes? So it kind of depends. My my oldest is a senior. He is not going to have a single AP class in his entire high school transcript. 
Um, I would love if he did, but he's applying to film school. So he has taken, I guess, what would have been the equivalent of AP had it been in art classes. And there are a few art AP classes, but not in film, unfortunately. So what I usually do, how do I, how I advise my families is if you want to do possibly the Ivy or the very highly selective school route, they will expect probably five to eight AP classes during your junior and senior years. It's, it's very competitive and it's very intensive, and you have to kind of plan from freshman year if that's the route that your student wants to take. If your kid is not at the top of his or her class, um, I would suggest maybe trying one or two in his or her favorite subjects. Um, I know when I went to college, I ended up being an English major with a French minor, and those were the two AP classes that I took, and I just liked them, and so I was drawn to them. It wasn't a strategic college plan. For most kids, they take, I would say, just one or two, typically. For the students who take none and your high school offers it, honestly, it depends what major you're going to apply for and which school you're applying to in terms of will they see that as a negative. Kristen, in uh, Chicago Public Schools, uh, there are a number of IB programs, and um, Mm -hmm. they're creating momentum for kids to stay in their neighborhood schools rather than going to the selective enrollment high schools, which is a whole different ball of wax. But I've also heard that the IB programs are as difficult as college. Is that the case? Um, They're difficult in terms of you have to be really self-directed to do very well in the IB programs. Um, So if you're an independent learner, if you like to make connections between subjects, the IB programs are, are really They'll make you stand out very positively, and I do think that they're comparable, especially the junior and senior level classes. They're comparable to college work. The students all do a long-term project, and it's a research paper uh, in addition to um, kind of a giving back community service component. So it's not your typical class where a student shows up, does a worksheet, takes a test at the end of three weeks, and then moves on to the next concept. Um, It's much more analytical, in-depth thinking. Cool. And that's much more what you see at college than at high school. Sure. Sure. What are the tests our kids need to take now? Is it ACT, SAT, or does it depend on the school that you're applying to? That's a great question. I think when we went, the ACT was much more in the Midwest and maybe on the West Coast, and the SAT was East Coast uh, and possibly more private schools. Nowadays, the colleges will take either test. Um, I usually advise my students to take a practice one of each and see if they do better. Um, My son did much better on the ACT than he did on the SAT. The SAT was revamped a few years ago, and it looks much more like the ACT. So there's not a huge difference, but if you can do a practice test, you can see kind of naturally which one you do well on. When kids are sophomores, most high schools offer the PSAT, which is uh, kind of a no- stakes practice test for it. You can qualify for something called the National Merit Scholarship, and they take the top, I want to say, 3 or 4%. It changes every year how many students they take. But that can lead to um, some scholarships at college, and it definitely is a prestigious thing to put on your applications. Um, Junior year in Illinois, um, the last few years, they've switched over to requiring students to take the SAT. used to be the ACT. Hmm. So it's on on families if they want to take the ACT. To, to go and do it. Right. A, a lot of high schools will offer it as well, but it's a state requirement for graduation now to have the SAT. I was reading somewhere about some universities that allow kids in without standardized tests. Is that a new thing? 
Um, so there are about 400 to 450 colleges in the United States that are going test optional. And what that means is if you want to submit your test as part of your application, they will accept it. Some will not even look at it, but most will accept it. And so what's happening is it helps students who are not great test takers, but it also helps students who are great test takers because that's another kind of thing in the positive column in their application. Um, what it usually indicates is that the colleges are looking at the students holistically, so they're not going to just punch in your GPA and a test score and you're either in or out. They'll look at subjective things like your letters of recommendation, like an essay that you write, um, like your extracurricular activities. So it can indicate something about the personality of the school in addition to their application process. You just mentioned extracurriculars. My, um, mm-hmm. my kids are very involved in a lot of things, and I was too. Is is it better to have a bunch of activities, or should kids specialize and become like Olympians? What makes a kid more likely to get into a good school? That's another great question. So when we went, I think they wanted well-rounded students. I did yearbook. I was on the French club. I was on the swim team. You know, I did kind of a bunch of things I was interested in. Now the phrase colleges like to use is a spiky student. So they like to see someone who's got one or two interests, but they've developed them over a long time. I think it's in response to seeing applications from students where they do everything they possibly can, but it's for an hour a week, and they don't really get a feel for the student's personality or genuine interest. They it's think like, they're just kind of checking things off a list. Yeah, spreading, spreading themselves out really thin and yes. just checking a box. So they like to see students. I'll, I'll use my oldest as an example. He's applying to film school, and since he was 10, that is literally all he's done. He, he's a good writer as well. Um, but he's definitely going to come across in an application as the film kid or the humanities kid. He's not in Science Olympiad. He's not doing any engineering clubs. But I don't feel like he needs to because he's gone so much in depth into the creative side. And that's what he wants to do at college and as a career. So what the colleges are really looking for in terms of extracurriculars is, does it make sense in terms of the classes that you've taken? Like we talked about the rigor. Say you want to apply to med school eventually, they'll want to see AP Bio, AP Chem, um, and they'll want to see extracurriculars. Maybe you've shadowed at a hospital. Maybe you've taken a summer program where you've done research at Johns Hopkins, where they have a great biochem department. So they, what you're really looking for in terms of the extracurriculars is, does it fit with the rest of the story you're telling about yourself? And I hate to use the term branding because huh. I just... Oh my gosh. Because they're kids, right? They're supposed to try stuff and see what they like and see what they don't like. But if you kind of look at things, think of your child when they were little. What did they play with at kindergarten? If you've got a kid who's thinking about engineering, I bet he or she played with Legos nonstop when they were five years old. True. So the branding is kind of this cringy businessy term, but the concept of finding that thread that has followed your student through his or her life kind of makes sense when you look at their extracurriculars. Do you suggest anything for the kids who need to work? You know, I, I always had to have a job, and that cuts into your brand um, or cuts into your extracurricular availability. Do you, can, can you use that to benefit yourself? For sure, and I think fewer kids, um, at least a lot of the ones that I work with, um, fewer kids are working during high school. They are busier. If you do a sport, it's every single day after school. You get home at 6. 
you've got to eat, do homework, go to sleep. Um, but this, I think the colleges really, really love to see students who've worked, even if it's at McDonald's or babysitting or tutoring somebody, anything that you can do, whether or not it, it syncs up with your brand, I think is good. Um, they like kids who know the value of a dollar. College is incredibly expensive. And so if you have somebody who's worked for minimum wage, maybe it's kind of a crummy job, but they've stuck to it. That shows something really nice about their character. So on the common application, which we can talk about as well, there's a place to put in, they call it the extracurricular or activities section, but you can put in anything. You can put in work. If you have family responsibilities, a lot of students need to come home after school and take care of younger siblings because both parents work long hours. Mm -hmm. That all counts. They just kind of want to see what you're doing with your time when you're not in school during the day. So let's say we've done all the prep and our kids are is a junior. You said when they're juniors to, to start doing this. Mm-hmm. How important is a college counselor while you're looking at doing school visits? So it depends what your high school offers. Um, a lot of larger public high schools have larger college counseling departments. And so they have, you know, 50 kids a year, which is not really that bad. Um, the national or the average in California is something like 400 per counselor, which is crazy. Um, it's nice to have some personal attention. Yeah, you're not getting Otherwise, personal attention with 400 kids in your roster. It's very hard. And I think part of what I do is I'm in demand because of those numbers. Um, I think most private counselors take fewer students on just because they want to they be able to give the time to the families. So what a college counselor can do is uh, it's kind of different if you're working at a school or if you're a private counselor. Um, The school counselor's main responsibility is to send transcripts and something called a school profile. So we talked a little bit about AP classes and are you at a a deficit if you haven't taken them. The school profile lists what your school offers to give the college admissions people a context to evaluate your transcript. Um, So they send the transcript. They'll help you send letters of recommendation from your teachers at school And they have, this is what I think is the greatest thing about a school counselor, they have a historical historical relationship with colleges. Mm. So I work in the Nutria District primarily. A million kids go to the University of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those Mm. are the three biggest public schools. We're not a feeder towards them, but there are a lot of kids who are interested in that. And so a high school counselor in our district can look at someone's transcript and say, yeah, you've got a really good chance of getting in here, or hey, you might want to look elsewhere. So they have that historical knowledge that's really important. What a private counselor can help you with is sometimes the more subjective things. So I used to be an English teacher. I help students brainstorm and draft their essays, and that's one of my favorite parts about helping the kids find colleges. Um, And that takes a lot of time, and the school counselors just don't have the time for that. Sometimes English teachers will offer that as a class assignment, Um, but it's kind of a weird essay that you typically don't practice in English classes. It's very personal, and it's helpful to have a private counselor give you kind of a second look at it. I've read a lot of stories about um, those essays. Did you read the one about the um, guy that submitted an essay about his custodian in his school? 
I did you see remember? that somewhere. Yeah. And, and, or no, yeah. that was the recommend. It wasn't. It wasn't an essay. It oh, was his recommendation. recommendation. Yes, I was like, oh my god, I love this kid. I would. I would hire him. I. <laughs> I take him to my school. I just thought it was amazing. That I was just another side story. I saw. <laughs> totally off point, but I really like. <laughs> it's a good one. So he got the letter of rec from the custodian. Yes. Oh, that's sweet. Wasn't that it? Do you remember that? I, I do recall hearing that, and I can just see. You know, I have a lot of. Um, Feelings for the college people, too. They have so many applications to go through in such a short time period. I can imagine if they come across that essay, and it's so refreshing and genuine and, you know, the opposite of a kid who's branded. So it, I think that that's great. It was it was a Washington Post. It was a newspaper article, and she was a recruit, or she was in the admissions office of a college, and she's like, I'm going to write this article now. Everybody's going to have a custodian write a letter of recommendation exactly. or whatever. But she said, it was exactly like you said. She was very refreshing to see. It was a different take. You stood, he stood out, that kid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he had somebody um, say such nice things about him. And I think that you asked about the essays. Um, when you write the essay, a lot of kids are like, oh, my God, they're so, it's so overwhelming. But really all they want to know is something fundamental about you. Um, the Common App is an is a online port- portal that a lot of students use to apply to, I think, 800, 900 uh, colleges. And there's, there are five topics you can choose from. No one prefers any one topic, but they're all, get, they're all focused towards giving the students an opportunity to tell them something unique about themselves. When um, did that start? Always, yeah, Kristen, we, we gosh, had to fill out, like, what I, the heck? I filled out 12 different applications. I got hosed. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have that app, application. So the Common App is great because you can apply to, I think, 20 schools. Wow. Basically through, if they take it. Not everybody takes it. A lot of state schools don't take it, although more have been. Um, my son, a lot of his art schools don't take it, which is really annoying. Yeah. Um, but the Common App is great. Uh, it, what it, what it has done, though, on the negative side is it's made college applications more competitive because it's so easy to apply. More kids are applying to the same schools. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. You can, you can upload your transcript once. All your recommendations go through there. You put in the colleges you want to apply to, and each of their individual requirements pop up. So it's kind of a nice one-stop shopping. So we were talking about the number of colleges we apply to. Do you have a recommendation? I read on the Princeton Review that um, according to their College Hopes and Worries survey, 40% of students plan to apply to five to eight schools, while 30 will apply to nine or more colleges. What? And I, I did apply yeah. to 12 you colleges. Did? Yes, I did. So what... And it was ridiculous. 12... On top of your schoolwork. Yes. Think about it. Yes. So, <laughs> Kristen, what do you recommend for kids? I mean, do you recommend they do the more research up front so that they're not sort of throwing their efforts blindly? So there's a lot of fear um, and anxiety associated with this. And I think that causes people to apply to more schools just because they don't know where they're going to get in. Uh, Canadian schools are great. They In English schools, they kind of give you the numbers range, very objective criteria, either in or out, and it's really kind of cut and dry. So many American schools do this holistic review that it's hard to judge what your chances of admission are. I would say I, the most I've had with students I've worked with, uh, one student applied to 21 schools, which was crazy, and what? he was so burned out, and was it was exhausting. Uh, the fewest I've had one student apply to one school, and I was incredibly nervous, and she did get in and is happy there, and everything is good. Wow. Um, I would say most students I work with apply probably between 8 and 12. Okay. Wow. My son is doing 13, although he's applying early to one, and that's his favorite, and if he gets in, I think he's probably not 
going to complete the rest of them. So explain that so yeah, timeline. It's, it's a lot of schools. Explain the timeline of uh, regular versus early action and early decision. How, how or, does that all work? Or rolling admissions. I have a friend who it's rolling admissions. They already know their, their senior already knows where they're going. Right. So there are four, well, basically four different kinds of applications you can do, and they're connected to timeline. So you're right. Rolling is one. Rolling just means kind of first come, first served. And these used to be colleges people wouldn't have thought of as very good schools. That's actually really changed. It's expensive for the colleges to send their representatives all over the country all fall. So if they can get students locked in early, it's a plus for them. The students love to hear their their response early. So rolling is great. My son applied to three rolling, and he's heard back from one positively. Yay. Uh, So far. So that's great. So rolling usually starts August 1st. Um, We'll probably go until the following July, and it's kind of however long it takes to fill their freshman class. Wow. November 1st is a very common date for something called early action, and you'll probably find out the response from the colleges by January 1st. And the advantage is you can apply to any number of colleges early, and you don't have to tell them your answer till May 1st. And this is great if you know teenagers, they change their minds like crazy. So committing early to a school six months down the road, they might find out that they like something else. So I think early action is the best of both worlds. There's another thing called early decision, which is also typically November 1st, but not always. And early decision, you can only apply to one school at a time. And if you are accepted, considering the financial, if you can pay for it, basically, uh, you have to go there. You're kind of ethically promising to go there. And colleges do communicate. Uh, I have a lot of parents ask me about this, like, oh, I don't really have to commit to it, do I? Um, but it really is considered a serious commitment. So if you're accepted, um, they expect that you will be coming. Is early decision, like, let's say my kid wants to go to Harvard or like like their, their pie-in-the-sky school, is that where people do early decisions because they, they know that emphatically, like, that's where I want to go? So my son did early, his school only offered early action, his favorite one, his first choice. And so he did that by November 1st. Um, an advantage besides finding out early is if you are applying, maybe to Harvard, some school that's very selective, a lot of times your chances of being admitted through early, dis- well, early decision is usually higher and early action is usually higher. So you have a better odds set of odds of getting in with the earlier dates because you're Most saying kids, though, apply regular decision which is often january february yeah i did early early something for yale and got and found mm-hmm. out in december and but i do remember that i i How was do you still, remember that because uh, my parents <laughs> came all, to school my parents fuzzy. brought the letter to my school while i was in, like in math class um, <laughs> in high school yeah oh my god they were so excited cute. yes they're excited <laughs> um but the but we were still going back and forth with different um, financial packages, so I must have done early action, right? Right. So the draw, the big drawback to early decision is you don't always know the full financial package, and so critics of this program say that it's biased um, against lower income students gotcha. who really do need that information to make a, an accurate decision. Kristen, we are actually going to talk about financial aid, but it's kind of its, its own ball of wax. So we might um, we might have a second part to this, and I, I'll let you know because um, we can't even like I think that that is a whole another sure. another ball game to talk about financial aid. But it what is a- it is? Um, if you I mean, if you don't have the money, you can't go. Um, having said that, there are there are a lot of ways to find money for college, and there are a lot of different college choices 
they're available. Well, as a counselor and what you help bring to the table of matching kids with the right school, um, you know, for me, 20-some years ago, (laughs) um, it was about like, oh, it was a liberal arts school and it was in-state and I could get cheaper, you know, um, the cost of tuition was a lot cheaper than going out of state. If kids get accepted to more than one school, how how would you help them if you had a family come to you and they had three offers? How would you help them pick where to go? Because I, I know in my experience with one of my friends, um, she was really enamored by the dorms at one of the schools. And for a while, that was like a, a contender. And then mom and dad are like, come on now. Come on. <laughs> So I've gone on a couple college tours with my own son recently, and I this has come up because I, as a college counselor, I've been to schools on tours, you know, with other counselors, and the one that is his favorite, I, I went to and thought, he's going to love it, and actually he did, but I've seen other ones I thought he would love that he's like, can we get back in the car? Why are we even here? So it really, there are, there's a whole list of objective criteria that you can use. You can do, as you said, liberal arts, if you want to do that. Uh, if you want a research institution, you can do that. If you want something that focuses on vocational training or pre-professional emphasis, you know, very job-focused, that's another thing. Some kids want a really small school. Some kids want, you know, a huge one that's 40000 or or larger. Some people want, and you said urban. Um, mm-hmm. That was my son, too. He didn't want to be in a cornfield. <laughs> I loved the cornfield. Mm-hmm. But, you know, different people, different different interests. Um, sometimes kids know what their major is right away, and they can look at different programs and really kind of filter down, oh, it's got that kind of equipment, or I like what this teacher is doing for his or her research. So those are kind of objective criteria that you can use to to start your initial list. And when I'm hired by families, I usually do a, a list of about 30 schools, 30 to 35, and nobody applies to that, that many schools, but that's kind of a starting point. Uh, if you can afford to go on college visits, they're great because, as you said, with New Haven, you need to know the neighborhood around the school mm-hmm. because that's going to be where you're living for four years. And I think, Anne, you picked up on the demographics of the area and felt like it was a great adventure for you. Yeah. Some other kids would be like, no, I want, you know, a quad that's in the middle of nowhere and it's all protected. So it just depends on... Um, on the kid. Kind of what you're on the kid and the level of comfort. And then... As I said, I was, I've just recently been on several tours with my son. He was kind of half-joking but kind of half-seriously saying that he was going to pick a school based on the boots of the kids. Huh. The boots? And I'm like, like what Like their are you shoes, about? their so, footwear? Like your footwear. And oh I thought, my. this is possibly the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but it also, he, I think he was really on to something. We've gone to visit Hampshire College in Massachusetts, which is very crunchy, very liberal, He's doing a program at high school that is kind of like that, and I thought he would really like, really be into it and would want four more years of it. So everybody is wearing kind of these ankle boots that are brown and kind of worn down, but like really loved, you know, and he joked none of the girls had bras on. Like it was just very, very easygoing, super friendly kids, but it was a little too out there for what he wanted. Fair enough. So we get in the car, we drive over towards Boston, we go see Emerson College. I'm like, what do you think of the footwear? He's like, they're all Doc Martens, everybody's in black, they're cool kids. I'm like, okay, so this is where he wants to go. If you see all the girls are dressed in Uggs with Lululemon leggings, that tells you something about them. If everybody's in Doc Siders, 
and people really dress up. I have a lot of students who go to the South to visit. Kids dress up to go to class in the South, oh. not because it's a party or because it's a special event, but that's just the culture. That's their way of Those life are, down in the South. necklaces and sweater sets. So if, you, oh. if that's what you want, that can tell you something about the personality of the school. If it's something oh. you don't want, that can also tell you about it. I would have been a fish out of water. I wore I wore <laughs> leggings and oversized sweatshirts and put my hair in a ponytail. I often wore pajamas. <laughs> That's interesting. That's something you don't really think about when you're when you're looking at schools, but that makes sense. So footwear. Also, I will caution you if you're on a college visit and the weather is bad, try not to have that be your deciding factor. Right. Or if you have a charming or obnoxious tour guide. That doesn't indicate much about the college either. You have to try and kind of separate those little details. Great food, though, always helps. <laughs> Dorms that are not hideous always helps. But basically, you're a teenager, you're a young adult. You're going to be living kind of in crummy places and not eating great food. That's just how it is in college. Right. It's true. Well, Kristen Sr., uh, founder of the Brass Ring College Consultants, that's thebrassringec.net thebrassringec.net. Um, That's right. We are so grateful to you, and um, I, I believe uh, we'll be calling you again. Yeah, I have lots of little notes on my sheet of paper here. <laughs> this is like I just a, just a, a tip of the iceberg, really, and it's like impossible to cover that in, in yep. one episode. But thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I enjoyed it. So apparently um, it starts now. we got to be thinking about this now. <laughs> But I think that Kristen would say we can't obsess about it, right? I think we just have to sort of meet each challenge. And then maybe it's not a bad idea for, you know, the kids to look online and see what schools they might like. Yeah, we have already actually done some college visits. Like, we've gone back to U of I. We've sure. taken the kids to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've gone to Madison. Yep. So we, we've gone around just to get them to see, you know, and they're already saying where they want to go. And it's just funny. I'm like, oh, you're, you're going to change your mind five million times. But just to get the, just to show them what it's like. I um, tried. We, we took our kids to Madison because that's where my husband went and I was pushing it so hard and then they watched the Gilmore Girls and now they want to go to Yale <laughs> oh my god oh bless their hearts oh bless their hearts yes, yes. this uh, this is all like uh, incredibly overwhelming I have to say that this is one area where I'm so glad that I have friends with kids that are already going through this already because I was just at lunch with some friends a couple weeks ago and they were talking about their seniors and I'm I'm just like gonna just take all their information and i'm so glad i'm not at the front of the line on this one i'm happy to sit in the back of the line and just wait to hear and reap the benefits of all their discovery for sure and um i'll be right next to you yes (laughs) (laughs) so um we'd love to continue the conversation and hear from our listeners yes check out our facebook page at uh, apparently Uh, give us a call at 331-704-0046 or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look easy.